Hello and welcome back to Homefront with Benjamin Rose and myself, Lali Gutentag, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Benjamin, hello and good to to you. Good and of course the big story is the ongoing hostage release and we're going to focus uh, most of our time this morning on that. Yeah, so as you say, hostages, hostages and hostages, we're seeing these incredible emotion-laden scenes of reunions and they speak for themselves. I've got some thoughts on the subject, but paint the outlines of what's going on now. I had an analogy that I wanted to bring, which I uh, hope will explain how I feel about this personally uh, and also professionally. When we first made Aliyah 30 years ago, so the first uh, full Chag we were here for was Sukkot. And afterwards, all of my American friends asked me, so Binyamin, tell me, what was it like to observe only one day of Yom Tov? And I thought about it. I had a few answers, but one that I gave at the time, I was struck by the dichotomy of Simchas Torah. Because in Chutzlaretz, Shemini Yatzeres and Simchas Torah are two days. Shemini Yatzeres is the solemn day. There's Yizkar. We pray for rain. It's much more serious in tone. And then Simchas Torah is the hakafas, the music, the dancing, the cut loose kind of day, if you Correct. will. It's a big shift. And there were two separate days, and I got used to that. My first focus in Eretz Yisrael, I was struck that everything is on the same day. You dance for the Hakafos, and uh, you have all of the singing over the Asiyam of the Sefer Torah and starting the new cycle of the Torah reading again. And boom, you're done. You go into Yizkir, so the tone shifts right away. And then when Yizkir is over, so the tone shifts a little differently into Tfilas Geshem. And then you get back into Musaf, so it's a little bit more of a Chag, and uh, then you go home and you have your Suda. But th- there's a lot of back and forth emotions on the same day. And I think it's interesting that this happened to us this year on Simplest Torah, this tremendous tragedy, because if I look at the release of the hostages, on one hand, I look at it as a Simplest Torah. It's a day of dancing. It's a day of rejoicing. These people are free. They're home. They're safe and sound. Thank God. Mitzad Cheney, if you look at it from the second point of view, we still have an overall situation here, which is very serious and very solemn, which hasn't been solved. And the question is, where's the balance and how do we get back to the battle, which is still at hand? And can we get back to the battle, which is still at hand? So these are the questions that I'm thinking about and grappling with, and I'm not trying to come up with any easy answers, but these are the emotions. There's pros and cons to this. First of all, it's a tough analogy, tough in the sense that it's tough on the emotions that I think it really encapsulates what's going on, the tears and the joy at the same time. A mixed bag of thoughts over here. One of them is that notice that for seven weeks, these captives were faces on placards. They were on t-shirts on the faces of a campaign, but they were underground. They were distant. They were in a certain way, theoretical reality. And Israel could proceed on that basis and did proceed on that basis that in a sense, a more clinical and detached way of, of analyzing the, the balance of what needed to be done. But the moment that those first little kids emerged and ran towards the hands of their mothers, their fathers, or the relatives, and those old people were hugged by the grandchildren. That was exactly what Hamas was banking on, this human interaction, which is impossible to ignore. And so, Benyama, this is the first thought that I think by this stage, no one in their right minds thinks that Israel is going to resume fighting after four days until this effort is exhausted, right? And the effort is exhausted based on the cabinet decision. They actually wrote into something binding that it's got to end after 10 days. But unless Hamas does something to really upend things, then we can assume that it's going to be a week and a half, potentially, of these drip drip scenes. Yeah. And could you let me add that Netanyahu can call another war cabinet meeting and decide to extend it for an additional period of time above and beyond the 10 days. 
Right. Okay. So the dynamic, I think, is exactly what these terrorists are banking on. They know how to strum on the strings of Israeli hearts, and that's something very powerful. The second thing I think to notice over here is that there's actually convergence of interests now, at least when it comes to women and children, which is the ones being released now. Because I don't think that Hamas, being the bloodthirsty terrorists that they are, fully comprehended how the civilized, and let's call it the semi-civilized world, like the Qataris, were going to take the sight of these hulking Hamas brutes, taking to captivity and capturing, carrying off like spoils of war, Holocaust survivors and toddlers. They didn't bank on how bad it's going to play. And so at this stage, they see these captives not as a strategic set, but as something that they want to be free of. They want to get rid of them and end up with military age males so that they can legitimately come to a situation where the world comes and says, okay, you got rid of your captives. Now you are just the same and the pressure will be off. And I think that is the second thing to know about this. To me, the bottom line, therefore, of these strategic calculations is that Hamas is behaving like an organization with death. There's not in a hurry. That has options. It has a plan. Its plan is, okay, we overstepped, we overreached at the beginning to take some women and children. We are now going to recalibrate and we can then go back to face off with Israel, with the world and international pressure and Qatar at our backs once we have that. So to me, that's a worrying sign, just how calibrated this organization is being. What do you make of that, Benyan? Oh, Israel has to figure out how to calibrate itself in regards to Hamas. A few days ago, I think many of us saw the viral uh, video clip of a uh, British interviewer asking a Israeli foreign press spokesman, how come you're releasing three Palestinians for every one hostage that's coming back? Correct. That was sick. That was just sick. Right, right. Does that mean that each Israeli life is worth the three Palestinians? In other words, uh, a Palestinian is only a third of the value of a Jew? So the fellow who answered gave the answer. That hey, Long Levy, Levy. Yeah, he basically, his, he opened up his eyes very wide and he said, this is a ridiculous question. I realize when you're on the spot, it's not always easy to answer questions that are thrown at you like that. There were a couple of things he could have answered. One of them has said that, well, when we got Gilad Shalit back, so we gave up over a thousand for one. So obviously if we're giving up three for one, so instead of every Palestinian being worth only one thousandth of a Jew, so now uh, we've upgraded them, they're worth one third. But uh, that would have been a little... Yep. I remember I was actually waiting for those accusations of kind of Jewish particularism and racism and superiority to rear their heads because I remember exactly this type of t- disgraceful uh, thing being f- in the Shalit case. I remember this. But yes, the odds have got better. He could have been better prepared, uh, let's say that. But I would have said the other answer that he could have given, I myself just uh, learned this after I started looking up and doing some research on it, is that during the Russia-Ukraine war, there have been many prisoner swaps and uh, it's been conducted without a ceasefire. So Israel has to figure out a way, and this goes back to what I said before about Israel has to recalibrate itself. Israel has to figure out a way that it can get hostages back without ending its military campaign, just like Ukraine and Russia have been able to get their prisoners back uh, without a ceasefire. Now, I realize you can't compare the two conflicts uh, at all. However, I think we have to uh, play a lot tougher and play more hardball because, as you said, Hamas feels at this point that they've regained their relevance and that they've regained their strength and that time is on their side. And uh, Israel has to uh, make it clear to them that uh, they're mistaken. There's one more thing which I think is feeding into the sense of Hamas, as you say, and as we discussed, behaving, you know, like an organization that has the options on its side. And that is a piece of some data that has come out from 
a survey of what Gazans feel about Hamas and the October the 7th attack. So there's been this narrative, and this is from a piece from the Washington Free Beacon, which is highlighting a set of statistics that run counter to the kind of the mainstream media narrative has just been surprised, totally ignored by the, that mainstream media. And the statistics say the survey from November 14th, just a couple of weeks ago, and long after Israel started its, its pounding of Gaza, showed that 60% of Gazans feel positively about Hamas, 64% support the October 7th attacks. And among West Bank Palestinians, those numbers are 87 and 83%. And that the Hamas's armed wing, uh, Alexa Brigade, had even more widespread support, 70% in Gaza, 87% in the West Bank. And what that goes to show, Binyamin, is a few things. Firstly, this is more support for what we've been saying here a couple of times in the last few weeks, which is this narrative that Hamas is some alien imposition on a kind of helpless and innocent Gazan citizenry was ridiculous. It was always ridiculous. But now you can see, that obviously, those are statistics. And these surveys have been ignored in the mainstream media. But They were voted in. The people what, voted them in in 2007. Correct. And by the way, there's no reason to assume, you know, the fact there's been no more elections, as well, Hamas don't like elections. Turkish President Erdogan once said that democracy is a train that you ride until you get off at the right station. That's one of his reported comments. But there's no reason to believe that they don't have strong support. We can see that over here. But what this adds up to is the bottom line. Hamas behaving like an organization that has options. And you know, it does. It retains, despite the fact that Northern Gaza has been pulverized and there's an uncertain future as related to the South. This is an organization that feels the citizenry behind it. At least that's what this survey would show. And that means that should give the Western narrative pause, which it won't, but it should certainly give Israel pause as it thinks about the next stage over here. The next stage for Israel certainly isn't clear at this point. I've mentioned before on this program, and it's a theme that I'll probably repeat in my writing as well, that again, as long as the war is going on, so the government is going to remain stable. The minute it's over, I don't see it lasting more than 45 days. Right. Pinyamin, I just want to end with a, I don't know if it's a bright spot, it was just something that caught my eyes last night. There was a live stream going on on one of the British papers of the Rafah border crossing in, with Egypt and Israel. But last night, waiting for this second batch of, you know, the kidnapped to be transferred by the Red Cross, which obviously delayed many hours in the act of brinkmanship from Hamas. And it was very difficult watching. It was so indicative of Israel's humiliation and of the humiliation of the Jewish people in general, the victory of their enemies. And yet, filtering through over a sound system, which was picked up by the live stream going up on the British media, was the faint strains of the old classic, Moshiach, Moshiach, Moshiach. And I thought that was so nice. That was a little touch and a little reminder that it's not in their hands. It's not in the hands of the media. They're against us. Western leaders, many that are against us. Ultimately, there's someone else in charge. We have to look forward for better and brighter days in the future. Now I'm going to wish you a good day to you and all to listeners.